This episode of A Little Juju Podcast is sponsored by Wakanda Dream Lab. What if a new story of gender prevailed and the pain of ancestors lost to gender-based violence was healed? This anthology's got the answers. This summer, Wakanda Dream Lab teamed up with Resonance Network and invited Afro-diasporic and indigenous creative writers, artists, and freedom fighters to dream up a world that is free of gender-based violence with Wakanda as the framework. So check out our Black Freedom Beyond Borders Reimagining Gender in Wakanda anthology. It's packed with original post-liberation Afrofuturism short stories, poems, songs, and art pieces. The anthology is available for free digital download by visiting the Wakanda Dream Lab or Resonance Network website. You can also find them on Instagram at Wakanda Dream Lab and at Feel Resonance, F-E-E-L Resonance. I will have all of this information in the show notes for y'all to check out. Now let's get into the show. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Confirm no sage. And I'll never give a play. I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my face to make a stay. Cause I hate when baby but I manifest a little with my Baileys I'm my ancestors, baby So I give them everything that they gave me, yeah So I can't be stopped Manifested everything gives me props I'm spiritually rounded while I'm Welcome to A Little Juju Podcast This is the podcast all about black-ass spirituality Honoring our ancestors, honoring ourselves And decolonizing our spiritual practices My name is Juju and I'm coming to you as the host of this show Obviously, but also I'm a medium I'm a hoodoo practitioner, I'm an Orisha devotee, and I'm an all-around just student of religion. I really, really love religion. I'm just adding that in because I'm like, yo, I feel like a theologian low-key. Like, <laughs> no, I didn't go to school, but all I'd ever do and want to theorize about and talk about is religion. But anyway, thank you all so much for tuning into the show. If you would like to keep up with the conversation, you can hashtag a little juju podcast on social media or hashtag ALJ pod and see who else might be listening with you. Um, we have a lot to cover this week. It's a lot going on over here. It's uh, We have a wonderful interview with Hoodoo Hussey. I have some announcements, some church announcements. So we got a lot to cover today, but I'm so grateful that you have come back around for another episode. So today we're gonna have a Heal Yourself segment. That's the segment where I talk about juju related tips and tricks to help us heal. And then we're gonna get into the interview with Hoodoo Hussey, which I'm really, really, really excited about sharing with you all. And also, um, Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, <laughs> so if you celebrate, I hope that you all have a good Thanksgiving. Um, it's funny because the episode with Hoodoo, we, we're talking about food, and it wasn't planned out like that was the episode that's going to come out today, but it just so happened to work out like that. So we're going to be talking about food, we're going to be talking about the herbs, we're going to be talking about, I mean, just the the importance of Hoodoo and food. And also, she's a burlesque performer, so just like a whole bunch of interesting things. Um so yeah, thank you for tuning in and let's get into the show. So 
I just, I'm still shook. I'm still shook. I'm still shook. If you follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, you know this already. If you do not, I had to announce it on the podcast anyway that a Little Juju podcast was nominated for Best Religion and Spirituality Podcast uh, through iHeartRadio. So there's an iHeartRadio podcast awards, like an awards ceremony, award show. And I got invited to L.A. because of the nomination. So I'm going to L.A. in January for the awards show. It's a red carpet and everything. And I am just, like I said, shook. I, I mean, I think the biggest reason why I'm shook is because I never, ever, 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 ever thought that I would get an award from the show and not because I don't think that the show is worthy of an award but more so like I never even thought of it as a possibility like I don't even think I knew that there were podcast awards I didn't know that it was something that people were getting recognized for it just doesn't that never registered in my brain so knowing that this podcast was nominated for best religious spirituality podcast alongside people who have been podcasting for not even longer than me because I just celebrated having this podcast for a year. So obviously it's hella new, but people like Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, if y'all know, is a very, very popular Christian pastor in the, the United States. He has like a mega church. He's on TV. He, he's a celebrity. He's a celebrity pastor and he has a podcast, which I've never listened to it, but I'm in a category with Joe Osteen. Like, so I just want to say thank you. Um, like, I feel like I already won. Like just to even know that this was something that was possible. It's just so cool to me. And I really, really, really want to say thank you to my listeners, to you. For having a listen, and every week I say when it's time to talk about how to donate to the show, I say there's monetary ways and non-monetary ways. The non-monetary ways is just listening. It's telling people about it. It's posting about it. It's commenting. It's subscribing. It's liking. All of those things are what contributed to uh, my podcast, I think, my podcast being nominated for this award. Obviously, like, you all like it, so it's, it's good content, but that interaction I guess people saw that or iHeartRadio saw it or Apple Podcasts or whoever for me to get nominated there's no voting with this I know people are going to ask there's no votes Um, I think it's just up to the discretion of the judges who decide who wins like I said I feel like I already won but I want to say thank you thank you thank you for everyone who does post and who does subscribe and who does comment and who does leave reviews because it I mean clearly it matters like I'm going to LA. <laughs> so I just wanted to announce that and just say how grateful I am. Like a one-year-old podcast. I'm I'm amazed at the work that my ancestors have me doing for them. And I'm just honored to continue to do it for them. So, and for y'all. And for me, like, I don't know. But I just needed to, to say that and just say thank you thank you so much for everyone who's been super sweet to me i got a listener making me a wig <laughs> for the for the the war show i got you know a friend of mine who's helping style me like so many things are just coming together with this and so much support that i've gotten so far and so 
I feel like this is our award. So cheers. Celebrate to us, to us. And just look at the ancestors moving at the end of the day. Like, look at them just moving. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing too great for them. No matter how small you may think your ideas are or how saturated you might feel a market is like podcasting you feel like everybody has a podcast so what's the point of starting yours none of that shit matters if it's for you and it's destined for you and you're listening to your spirit your guides your ancestors that's really it that's really all that matters so yes I shame <laughs> I shame amen because I could go on and on about this but I shame and thank you thank you thank you all my next church announcement is I just want to say thank you to everyone who, I don't want to say became a patron. I mean, I saved that for the part where I talk about donations and how to support the show. Uh, but I do want to say just thank you in general to folks who became a patron after listening to the episode with Ash, Our Abundant Purpose. If you haven't checked out the episode, I would listen to that episode because it was so many gems and my thank you is to my patrons, but also the thank you is for those people who got the workbook because um, on my Patreon, I'm now offering different um, like videos and eBooks and I'm just trying to continue to do content on my Patreon. That's a little bit more like exclusive and just shout out to the people who have been supporting that. And also specifically with this eBook to everyone who reached out and was like, this was a great resource for me. Um, I really appreciated y'all putting this together. I'm learning a lot about myself. Ash is great. Like I've gotten so much good feedback about the ebook. And for those who don't know, um, Ash Johns and I, who I interviewed in the last episode, Our Abundant Purpose, we put together a three-part ebook. And the first part, part one of the ebook dropped in November. And then we're dropping part two in December, part three in January. And it's been such an overwhelming response of love and support and I'm just happy to provide something and I'm happy I could co-collaborate on it with someone who I think is brilliant and provide something that will help us all feel like we're able to step into our purpose, figuring it out, figuring out what is our purpose or what our purpose is and how to best create and curate and experience a life that is grounded in that and grounded in spirit, guiding us to do and figure out our purpose in the best way and also to be able to feed ourselves and pay for what we need to pay for and have, you know, the money that we need and resources that we need. So thank you to everyone who has gotten the ebook and also just provided some feedback. Okay. And for our last church announcement, I don't know why I'm calling it that today, but (laughs) I guess today we at church, honey. Um, I want to say that the make conjure black again hats, if you don't know, I've been selling them for a while they went off the market, I guess, and I brought them back because many people were asking me to. And so I brought them back for a month. So I'm you can pre-order a Make Conjure Black Again hat now until December 1st. That is in a few days after December 1st. I ain't selling these hats no more. <laughs> so I'm going to mail out all the orders in December. So if you are interested, if you want a Make Conjure Black Again hat in red, black, or white... You should go on and order that now. Use the code Happy B Day H A P P Y B Day, one word, single, 
some of some single child lowercase one word and you will get i think it's 10 percent off i don't even remember but that is just to let y'all know don't nobody come to me and say i didn't know you had a hats da, 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 da. the hats are back until december 1st use the code happy b day and i believe we can now get into this show with the church announcements is over Mm, I guess what we call this is, is the tithes and offerings. I don't know why I'm just in the church today, but let's get into these tithes. All you need is a little juju. Okay, so since we've been talking about Patreon and my patrons, let's talk a little bit about ways to donate to a little juju podcast. So I ask for donations just to help support this podcast. Podcasting ain't free. This labor ain't free. What I do ain't free. And so when you become a patron or you donate monetarily or non-monetarily, it just helps sustain this work, helps sustain me and to keep the podcast continuing to, to run on, to run. So... Um, I want to shout out my new patrons because I got a lot of not just new patrons, but people who upped their pledge. So let me also talk a little bit about that. So before I've been asking for $3 a month to support a little juju podcast on my Patreon. And at the first of every month, $3 comes out of your account and it comes to me to help support the show. Now, recently I added a different tier. So that tier is $10 a month. And so for people who donate $10 a month, there's certain perks that come with that donation because it is, you know, it's $10 a month. So that's people who would get access to the eBooks, access to like little video calls. I'm having one tomorrow for the 10 tier patrons. Um, maybe little like discounts that happen when I have guests on the show. Like I'm trying to just kind of create some more additional content for people who are putting so much of that money energy into the show. So I'm still asking for $3 a month for folks who are able to do that. You can go lower than $3 a month or higher than $3 than $3 a month. You can do the 10, you can do more than 10. You can do whatever your little heart desires. But Patreon is a way that is a consistent way to donate to the show. Now I wanna shout out all of my newest patrons and also those folks who up their pledge. Thank you, thank you, big thank yous to um, Monica for becoming a patron. Shout out to Spiritually Poetic. Shout out to Sarah Marie Cross for upping their pledge to the $10. Thank you, Denise, upping your pledge. Melanie Cooper upped their pledge. Jamila Richardson, thank you for becoming a patron. Maya. Yes, Maya, thank you for becoming a patron. Diamond Delancey, thank you so, so much. I appreciate you. Dia Wilson, Emma, pledged, thank you. Kyara, upped their pledge. Andrea, up their pledge. Uh, London Mojo, thank you for becoming a patron. Lamar, thank you. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Raven Joyner, thank you for becoming a patron. I have an anonymous patron. So thank you, Miss Anonymous. Uh, Marilyn Castillo, thank you. Um, Helio edited their pledge, thank you. Zeta, Destiny Luke, Jasmine Mangual, Lakita Pritchard, uh, thank you so much. Noel, thank you for upping your pledge. Ife, hey boo, thank you for upping your pledge. Senko199, thank you for pledging. Mia Hamilton, thank you. Amber, Dashara, Shugs, Joe, thank you for upping your pledge. Amber, uh, Christina Glazil, M, uh, Donita Crudup, Alicia, Tamoya Taylor, Anansi Says, Ronisha, 
Lessa Lee, Bunny Johnson. Thank y'all so, so, so much. Emmanuel. Hey, boo. Thank you for becoming a patron. Amaya Hunt. Thank you. Uh, Diane M. Daniels. Thank you for upping your pledge as well as Portia Jackson. Thanks. Uh, K. May Janae. Thank you for becoming a patron. Um, Amani Sims, thank you so much for upping your pledge, honey. Child, <laughs> thank you. Jasmine Scott, Jeteria, Deanna upped her pledge. Thank you. Lauren McElroy upped their pledge. Kenya Mack, Halo, thank you for upping your pledge. Aisha Rice, Khadijah, Locked in Bougie. Hey, I like that name. Thank you for becoming a patron. Um, I think I want to say this name right. I think Kanaji, or maybe it's Naji. Thank you for becoming a patron. I'm going to spell it for you because I want to get it right. K-H-N-A-J-Y-I. Thank you. Nisha Salas. Salas, thank you for becoming a patron. Krista, thank you. Doris Williams, thank you for upping your pledge. Ashley Gray. Christina Stallworth, thank you. Kenya T, thanks. Victoria Snowden, up their pledge. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley, for upping your pledge. Destiny, thank you for pledging. Janae Taylor, hey, boo, thank you for uh, ed editing your pledge and upping it. Tammy Hurt, pledge, thank you. Yasmin Gampi, thank you. Khadijah, Nicole, uh, oh, sorry, Ar Arnita Pittman, thank you for uh, becoming a patron. Asil, Asile, thank you. Giraffe. Ocentric, thank you for upping your pledge. Jersilla Desiree, Shelbon Elliott, Samantha Hollish, Shantala, Shantala Thompson, Kareen Lanklas or Karen. Um, Amber, thank you for editing your pledge. Um, that's it. <laughs> Woo, y'all did the damn thing. And and just to think, like, I really just needed to provide some content. You know, I was running from it. My ancestors were like, girl, if you just don't start to do some other things on Patreon and just let that be, the make some videos and write this book. I mean, it's just been a great, great avenue for me to be able to provide more and things that aren't just public and accessible everywhere you know because I think a lot of this work I'm going on a tangent look at me <laughs> but everything can't be accessible everywhere with this work unfortunately even as we're trying to just grasp onto what we want to know and things that are important you know everything can't be everywhere especially in regards to this some things have to be secret some things have to be private and some things have to be with specific groups and so I'm thankful to my patrons for just trusting me and kind of curating this separate space as well to be able to offer you more and on top of that I just want to say thank you for um, everyone who became a patron um, whether it was one dollar to however many dollars, I'm so grateful and I'm sharing the energy of wealth and the energy of abundance uh, with you as you have shared it with me. You know, if you're sharing it with me in goodness, I'm sharing it with you in goodness times a thousand. Like I could not do this work without you. I wouldn't <laughs> do this work without you. I it would be impossible to do this work without you. And so I'm so, so very grateful that you're sharing the energy of money with me. I don't take it lightly, as I say every week, and I'm sharing it back to you. I'm speaking over abundance and wealth and health over your lives. I also uh, want to say that you can also donate to the show via, if you don't want to do the, the monthly reoccurring payment thing, you can always just hit me up on the cash app at dollar sign, I-T-S-J-U-J-B-A-E, it's Jujube. 
Um, and I want to send and share the energy of wealth with those who hit me up on the cash app this week. I got a bunch of wonderful cash apps. So I appreciate y'all and shout out to, uh, Shaniqua Anderson. I don't particularly shout out people by name, um, who do monetary donations outside of the uh, Patreon, but Shaniqua, Shaniqua, Shaniqua came through <laughs> on that cash app. So I just got to say, thank you. I'm sharing the energy of wealth with you, Shaniqua and everyone who has invested in me. I, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And also I take donations on PayPal at thejujubay at gmail.com. That's the email that you can use on my PayPal. Now for the non-monetary donations, I feel like I've been talking so much about donations because I had a million and one um, patrons this week. Non-monetary donations is subscribing to the show. It is writing reviews on Apple Podcasts. It is commenting on SoundCloud. It's sharing it on social media. Hashtagging ALJ Pod. Hashtag a little juju podcast. All of these things, like I said earlier, contribute to folks knowing about the show, being able to tap in, figure out who's listening to the show, how it's been helpful, how it may help them. It helps me get clients it helps me just spread the juju gospel so that's very very important and so i mean it helps me get nominated for the best religion and spirituality podcast so <laughs> thank y'all so much for consistently showing me love and not even just sliding in my dms and showing love but like publicly loving me is um i don't have words I'm at a loss for words, child. Thank you. Uh, publicly loving me. Thank you. Publicly loving the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whew. Yes. My mouth is dry. These are good problems because I just have been getting so much love. I'm just trying to get through everybody. My mouth is dried out. <laughs> but I'm so, so deeply, deeply, deeply appreciative. Thank you. All you need is a little juju. Okay, and our next segment today is Heal Yourself. Again, that is the juju-related tips and tricks to help ourselves heal since we are responsible for our healing. Nobody else. So um, I've had some very interesting conversations since I've started being active, a lot more active on Twitter than I have been in the past. And this past week, I asked a question around hexing. And I just wanted to get people's thoughts on how they felt about hex work. People who did this kind of spiritual work, how they felt about hexes. And I got a variety of different responses um, to some people being like, absolutely, I will hex a motherfucker down to no, I don't like hexing to people talking about the threefold rule, which is some Wicca stuff. So I was like, um, that's not really relevant over here, but I guess I did ask a question. But anywho, I think one of the biggest things to take away from the, the conversation in general and the hexing conversation in general is that even if you don't want to hex anybody, you don't believe in hexing anybody, um, or you feel like you may have been hexed, you could have been hexed, you know, all of those things can be found out via divination. So if that is a concern, you can get a divination with a trusted practitioner. But before that, just protect yourself. I think putting up protections in general cuts out a lot of that being hexed, having to deal with the hex, and you don't really have to worry about that as much if you're on top of making sure that you are safe, that you are spiritually safe, that you are spiritually protected, that you have up your fiery wall or you have up your bubble or whatever you want to call it. 
So that any type of forces that aren't supposed to be in, in your life, negative forces and blockages, they don't hit as hard or hit at all. Because when you got your protections, protections up, some of that stuff falls by the wayside. Like, I'm aware that um, people send work my way, y'all. They do. <laughs> they do. But I'm not really aware of a lot of it. I just know that it's happening because I know. But I don't know that it's happening because I feel it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I don't play about my protections. And so I want to offer that to y'all. Like healing yourself is also being proactive and keeping yourself as safe as possible, spiritually and otherwise. And spiritual protections, putting spiritual protections in place helps us to remain safe spiritually and energetically and emotionally and then also physically too. So some ways that you can move forward in doing protection work for yourself. And also I want to add protection work can help with our anxiety. It can help with our confidence. It can help with removing blockages. Like there's so much goodness that comes out of just protection work, like protection and cleansing. Sometimes even more so than doing abundance work. Sometimes because it's like if you're just blocking all the bullshit, there's more opportunity for you to get wonderful things out of your life. So one of the ways that you can protect yourself that I feel like is completely underrated is literally just praying for it. Like waking up in the morning and praying for your protection, praying that you're safe, praying that you're psychically protected, that you're spiritually protected, physically protected, that you're only in spaces that are enhancing who you are and that you're staying safe, you're safe in your drive, you know, just a general protection prayer. That's super important. Starting your day with that is very important. Um, fiery wall of protection is a good um, oil uh, that you can use. It's also a ritual, which I may have talked about in a later episode, but I'm just going to talk about the oil right now. Buy fiery wall oil from someone you trust. You can also make fiery wall of protection oil for yourself. Now, I'm not going to get into too much detail on how to use that. I feel like you should ask your ancestors some good ingredients for fiery wall in general. Can be cayenne peppers, um, gingers, um, cinnamons some people use. Some people use, um, oh shoot, in a left mind. So either way, maybe I ain't supposed to say it. <laughs> so, so look into some of those herbs. Look up protection herbs. Look up protection ingredients. It doesn't have to be fiery wall. That's a hoodoo way to protect. But there's so many different ways that you can make an oil out of protection herbs. If you let them herbs sit in whatever carrier oil you decide. So you can use almond oil. Some people use olive oil. Some people use vegetable oil. It's whatever you want to use. Whatever you decide to use. Soak whatever protective pieces, roots, herbs or whatever that you have in that oil. And put just put it on like your wrist before you leave every day. That's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And like I said, you can also buy Fiery Wall of Protection from a trusted practitioner. Another thing to do for protection, sitting with your ancestors, going to your altar. I said pray before, but like going to your altar and making that a part of your prayers, whatever you might be asking for in your life. Of course, you go to your altar, ask for that. But pray for your protection first as you are embarking on whatever thing that you might be asking for. Pray for your protection. A knife on the altar or a sword of some sort works wonders. I posted about that before on Instagram, but get yourself a little blade and put it on your altar and consecrate it first. You want to pray over it, bless it, cleanse it, 
you know, with you can use regular water, Florida water. You can pray over it. You can dip it in a some a herbal mix, some hyssop or something. Cleanse it off. Put that on your altar. Give your ancestors tools to whoop your enemy's ass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I know people don't like to talk about enemies, and people don't like to talk about you know hexing, and people don't like to talk about. That's fine, but look, who do? We have to protect ourselves at the end of the day. And you have, we all have enemies, believe it or not. I don't care if you're the sweetest person in the world or whatever, you have enemies. Whether the enemy is the states, whether the enemy is the court system, whether the enemy is your hating ass neighbor, whether you have enemies in your own family, you have enemies and you need to protect yourself from those enemies. And talking about this is not wrong or bad. So put something on your altar Put a knife or something on your altar to protect yourself from your enemies. And when you pray for protection, grab the knife, grab the sword while you're praying. It amplifies the work. Get your fiery wall, put that on, pray for your protection. Carry protective stones on you. I mean, there's so many different crystals that work for protection, depending on what you're doing. Like amethyst helps with psychic spiritual protection. And the black stones, I like to say, like the onyxes and the obsidians help with um, grounding and protecting us like spatially. And then we have the red jaspers that protect. I mean, there's so many different stones that would be helpful, that could be helpful. So look up some type of protective stones, tiger's eye. Um What's another good protection? Oh, things with evil eye on it. That I found to be personally very helpful. Uh, some people feel different ways about using the evil eye or, or different pieces with the evil eye on it. I'm very attracted to the evil eye. So, you know, the little blue eye that you might see a lot. You can put that in your home. You can wear jewelry with the evil eye on it. Just do things that are centered around what is going to keep me safe right now. What is going to help me feel grounded right now? What do I need to, I mean, the world is dangerous. Like it is. And so I want to make sure that we're all out here practicing safety and being cautious and spiritual protections are just so I feel underrated and really talking about how we can better our lives some of the things is we just need to protect ourselves because this world is so like nasty and there's so much crap and bullshit around us that we, we need to stay safe in that so we're able to have a clear head and all of that so that is my um that is my heal yourself tip for today heal yourself aka protect yourself Protect yourself, protect yourself so that you feel safe enough to heal, so that you feel safe enough to actually go forth in the things you want to do in your life and that you feel comfortable enough to do that. Protection work, heavy protection work does that. And also if you have spirits, if you have protective spirits, getting to know them, calling on your ancestors who fought and who are willing to fight for you. Um, if you have, you know, if you have orishas of spirits and pots and stuff, you already should know how to work them. But being on top of them, checking in with your warrior spirits that you may have gotten from some type of initiation as well. Not letting that fall by the wayside because they're very important. So I hope that was helpful. Be Get on your protection shit. Pray for protection every day. And honestly, watch. Watch it change just, just from that. And I wouldn't say no lie. All you need is a little juju. Okay, so let us get into our interview with Hoodoo Hussey. So Hoodoo Hussey is a Hoodoo Saint. She is a priest of Njuzu. 
She is a burlesque performer. She makes wonderful um, oils, hoodoo oils. She's a great cook. She knows a lot about the food. She works the roots. She works the plants, y'all. And I'm really, really, really excited to just talk a lot about the importance of being in right relationship with land and learning about what grows around us and how our ancestors use that. She's a food historian, especially around, you know, African-American, you know, black cuisine. So I... It's just I'm excited to just open up this this conversation with her and to talk about all the ways that just our blackness is just hoodoo from how we cook to what we eat to what we do with our bodies and us performing like it is all hoodoo. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. Hoodoo is a wonderful person, has been a wonderful person in my life. And yeah, I'm just I'm ready for y'all to hear it, so let's just get right into this show. I hope you enjoy. Hoodoo's here. Hi, Hoodoo. How are you? I'm great, Juju. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, and I'm very excited, very, very excited to have you on the show. I know we talked about it a long time ago, so I'm happy today was the day that we got everything solidified, and it worked for both of our calendars, and yeah, I'm just really excited and looking forward to it. I'm super excited. I'm like so happy to be here and I'm just over here cheesing like the baby right now. Really. <laughs> yes, the baby we stayed. <laughs> um, okay, so let's just get right into it. Um, so my first question for you is how do you identify, you know, who are you? Tell the people who you are. Who am I? I am Hoodoo Hussey. I am a priestess in the Njuzu tradition. I'm a root worker and conjurer. I am a burlesque performer and producer. Mm. I mean, those are the main things. I'm also an amateur food historian. I love yes. food history and culture, especially when we're talking about our food history and culture as African-Americans and how that relates to our African past and present. And I love to cook. I'm also an avid gardener. So I just, I just have my, my hands all over the place. Yes. Love to see it. So that's what I'm super excited about. Cause I just, I don't feel like I've ever been able to touch on any of these things. I mean, I've talked about hoodoo, but just in the sense of food and all the things that you do, I'm like, oh, I just feel it's so juicy. Okay. <laughs> so I do want to start off. You said that you are a priestess of Njuzu. Can you just briefly sort of talk about what that is? So the Njuzu, um, this comes from a Bantu tradition. Um, so that's like, you know, South Africa. Basically, they are water deities. And the Njuzu that I personally am initiated into, they are spirits of people who are our enslaved ancestors who didn't make it across, who drowned during the voyage. So these are water deities and, you know, that's basically what it, what it is. Okay, cool. And how long have you been a priestess? Ooh, I'm about to come up on my second anniversary um, at the end of November. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so Hudu Hesse, uh, where did you grow up? How did you grow up? You know, where, where were you born? 
Where was I born? I was born in Chicago, okay? Um, <laughs> and my my dad grew up in the south side of Chicago, like Michelle Obama. And my mom, she grew up right outside of Chicago in the south suburbs, which folks are over here like, suburbs sounds cute. No, it was the hood. It was cute, but it was definitely hood hood, mm-hmm. um, Chicago Heights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was... You know, I come from Southern Stock. I'm a granddaughter, daughter of the Great Migration. My mom's actually was born in Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's where my family is from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you, on your website you say, you know, you are from, you know, Mississippi. You have Mississippi roots. And folks, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but just so you know, like Mississippi is like the, the home of hoodoo. In my brain, at least that's kind of how I think about uh, Mississippi Delta as as the home of hoodoo. It, it's a major hub. Of yes, hoodoo. yes, a major yeah. hub. Yeah, yeah. Because I would say that there's different hubs, like yes. different regions, where it's like very concentrated, and the history of it is so rich. And the Mississippi Delta is definitely one of those. I Absolutely, mean, we have a famous crossroads out there. Exactly, and a lot of the songs, you know, thinking about blues songs, a lot of those yes. folks were in Mississippi. And yeah. talking about things that was going on in Mississippi in relation to Conjure and who Yes. And blues is our gospel. Yes. I mean, gospel comes from blues, but blues is hoodoo's music. It's mm-hmm. like the stories that were told in that music. And mm-hmm. Mississippi Delta is where it was all born. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so tell me a little about a little bit about your conjure work. You know, how did you come into conjure or hoodoo? Like what yeah, what what kind of what pulled you to the tradition? And to well, name it that. And to name it that. Well, I mean, I me and my granny, we have like a really, really close relationship. So she would tell me stories about growing up in Mississippi and the different beliefs. And so I sort of grew up with that and she didn't call it hoodoo, though. Honestly, you know what she called it? She called it voodoo. Mm-hmm. But I know that she that did not mean right. like New Orleans voodoo or Haitian voodoo. It's just folks weren't really calling it hoodoo mm-hmm. back then. Like that wasn't the word. They would, you know, call it voodoo or like maybe conjure. But um, they really it, it was hoodoo. And so listening to those stories, doing my own sort of research on, um, you know, some of the the stories that have been passed down. I just knew that this was something that I I want, I was trying to remember. It was just like, it was there, but I, I didn't quite have the words for it. So I was very, for me, what really brought me to it was starting to hear the stories of my family and learning their names. And so before I even knew about like ancestral worship and all these different things, as like a teenager, learning the story of my family and having them actually be like, thank you for remembering us. Like I'm talking like from the other side, thank you for for remembering us. That was like my first peak of that connection and sort of the birthright that was mine that I just hadn't quite connected to. So ever since then, it's been like a search for identity. And I realized that um, 
a lot of people I knew, they were sort of tap, not tap dancing, but they were sort of leaping over like what our ancestors have and have done here in terms of the culture that they they created and maintained from, you know, enslavement onward. They were going straight to sort of African things, West African things, or even, you know, going to like comedic Egyptian things. But I was mm. like, there's like a missing link here. Right. So it was very important for me to understand the enslaved Africans experience here in America and what that meant and what that meant for my identity, my culture and hoodoo is so central to Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. because let them tell you, oh, we have no culture. Oh, that's not real. That's just some folk magic stuff. That's actually not even African. Like there's so many ways that people and society try to discredit what we have, like we just came over on the slave ships and just forgot mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happened. And so one of the integral things for me, leaving Christianity and trying to find a sense of self and understand who my ancestors were and what does that mean for me in this context, mm-hmm. it was really learning about ancestral worship and root work and conjuring and the power that I had within right. And so how did you know you had that power? Like, what was the sort of the moment where, well, I guess you kind of said that, you know, you said from the other side, your people were like, thank you, you know, for remembering us. And so then I guess my question is, so what, what did that remembering process like look and feel like? Because I know a lot of people are listening to this and they're sort of starting out their journeys or they're early on in their journeys, or I mean, some people, you know, been doing this for a while who listen, Um, but sort of what did that, like almost what kind of advice would you give to someone who's trying to reconnect and to conjure and to hoodoo? Like, what should they be doing? Where should they start? Well, me being the sort of, um, you know, armchair academic that I can be, whenever somebody slides into my uh, inbox or DMs, I always, always, always tell them to pick up a copy of Mojo Working Um, Mm -hmm. because, um, that just gives you the foundation because sometimes folks want to just jump in and start trying to do things or they want to Google something and try to do things. And I'm like, now you need to understand like the foundation and the history of this first in context. So you're not out here talking about, oh, well, you know, hoodoo's actually American. It's not, it's not African. Like, you need to have a solid grasp of what this is all about and why it's your right as a person of African descent in this country to reclaim your heritage and your power and your resistance. So start with the straight Mm -hmm. facts. And then from there, you know, you start, you know, trying different things. You start, listening, you know, opening up your ears and listening to what your answers have to say to you, paying attention to your dreams, studying herbs, like all these things, like, and even just the studying of being in community with nature, with plants and with animals and all these things. 
these are all ways that we're honoring our ancestors because that's how they live their lives in community with the earth. Mm -hmm. So even just starting to study these herbs and or have some some plants in your home, this is a way that you're honoring your ancestors' lives because these are the things that they enjoyed doing too because it was just the natural way of being. I love that you said being in community with the earth. That is so important. And I feel like sometimes it's something that people forget is actually part of ancestral veneration and, so, and even sort of proclaiming that hoodoo is ours and our religion and even just going back to ATRs in general. Like they center relationship, being in right relationship with what's around you, your surroundings and land and plants and herb and root. And so thank you just for uplifting that. Because sometimes I feel like it get lost. It gets lost in sort of like the the mysticism part or the spooky part or the part that's like, ooh, spirits. And yes, that is a part of it, but it's also just what's in front of you, what's growing outside of your Absolutely. house and Absolutely. how you can use it. And y'all, hoodoo got a green thumb. I, on the other hand, do not. <laughs> but I know I'm going to reach my like full conjure level when I get to hoodoo's level of being able to grow things. <laughs> like I cannot. I, I mean, things. honestly, like, I would be like, ah, shucks, but these plants really love me and mm-hmm. they're straight up like my children. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'd be over there like, I'm so sorry, y'all. I know I was supposed to come yesterday. I'm here today, you know, and it's, it's definitely spiritual. Like right. when I'm gardening, when I'm over here weeding, which, okay, not weeding, but curating my plot. Yeah, <laughs> curate. There's no such thing as a weed. Every plant has a purpose. Yeah. Aesthetically, what you want. Yeah. Every plant has a purpose. So yes. when I'm over here sifting and organizing my plot, it is mm. a form of spiritual cleanse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, getting my hands dirty. Um, you know, planting, harvesting. Just it's it's a way to just wipe your spirit clean. I love that you said that. Um, I'm curious now. What are you growing and what is something that maybe someone like me (laughs) or people who are just starting out could grow also that would be beneficial to them? So what do you have? So what I currently have and, you know, I'm here in New York, so I'm just like, okay, I'm going to have to like do my big harvest where I'm like, oh, no, I got to say goodbye to Mm -hmm. these plants Um, because not all of them are perennials. Not all of them will come back and make it through the winter. Um, I currently have sage and it's sage for culinary purposes. People don't be over here in my comments talking about, you're not supposed to burn sage, <laughs> a chicken guys. Anyway, <laughs> um, I have some sage, I have lavender, hyssop, I have rue, mm. I have collard greens, which I've been eating and giving away all summer long. Yes. Those things continue to grow. You pick them, you pick the leaves, the outer leaves, you pick those, those are the big ones. And then you leave the inner ones and then those grow out and it just keeps going for as long as you do it. So it's just collards for everybody. So I have collard greens. I also have um, some small tomatoes, had some Swiss chard, had some peppers that came out really nice. Um, What else? Ooh, I had some uh, butter beans. I have, um, I'm part of a community garden. So we have some um, men in the garden, African-American men who have been in that garden for probably the past 
I don't know, 25 to 30 years. And they were all from the South. They all came to New York on some great migration stuff. Mm. So they're from like Mississippi, um, the Carolinas, different places. So they, their knowledge, they're on like level hundred of agricultural (laughs) knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they'll tell me certain things. And um, this one man, Mr. Frank, who is just really sweet. He goes fishing every week. Very sweet man. He was just like, oh, you want to plant some butter beans? And I'm like, okay. And he told me, he showed me how to do it. He's like, okay, first you do this. Then you cover it up lightly. It's going to spring up in a week. And it sure did. So I have butter beans this year too. So I was very happy with um, my plot this year. I always have to be careful not to plant too much and overcrowd because I just get so excited. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to plant this. Mm-hmm. Now nah, I'm going to plant mm-hmm. this. Um, I always tell people to try out herbs in their apartment. Before I even had a garden plot, I grew tomatoes on my fire escape wow. um, in, a, in a bucket. Yeah. So, but the squirrels kept eating them. So that didn't really work <laughs> out for me. <laughs> they were just like, thank oh, thank you. you for offering. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Thank you, lady in the glass. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just always suggest herbs because most herbs can pretty much grow inside year round. Okay. So, you know, mints, um, hyssop is something that could grow inside too. Um, I love my hyssop plants because I find it very, I, I don't think I've ever seen hyssop fresh in a store. I have not um, ever. I think someone told me one of my burlesque sisters, she she um has her own uh company or business where she she sells like tinctures and different things and she was doing a, a smudge bundle and she needed hyssop and I sold her some and she was saying that she saw it at the farmer's market once but then she didn't see it again, so it was kind of rare. But I would definitely encourage people to start out with little herbs mm-hmm. in your apartment or your mm-hmm. house. And um, I'm sure my listeners have heard me say hyssop so many times on this podcast. It is a wonderful herb to just have, even if you don't go on and start growing it right now, just to have on you for spiritual baths and other I mean, uses. It's a very powerful cleansing herb. And it's, it's even more potent always when you're growing it by your own hands, of course. Um, so yeah, thank you for saying that. And honestly, I could stay on this topic. There's so many other things I want to talk about, but just thinking about black folk cultivating plants excites me first of all, because like I said, I'm not too good at it. But second of all, just because of how powerful cultivating plants and life was for our people, just before enslavement, just in general, like having our hands in dirt is a, is a working in itself. And, and it's just like, I just... So I'm, I'm I'm always in awe of people who are continuing that legacy of our people. And it's something that I, yeah, I just, I think I'm just giving you like my praise in like continuing that and doing that and being committed to it, to that work, because we need it and we can't lose our connection to understanding plants and plant life. So just thank you. Thank you is what I'm saying. I'm like really excited that you do that. Um Thank you. I, I absolutely agree. And one of the things that I think is so beautiful right now is just the reclamation of agricultural agriculture yes. by our people, because, you know, there's definitely 
some stigma around it because of the history of enslavement in this country. But this is very natural to us. And when, you know, my family, I'm, like I said, I'm basically first generation out of uh, the Great Migration. And my granny talks about how they had a huge garden in the back of their their house, which was probably more like a shack. They were sharecroppers. And everything they ate, like the vast majority was from the land. So they only bought tea, flour, and sugar from the store. Everything else, they were cooking with grease. It was rendered from a hog. Mm -hmm. If they were having chicken that night, that chicken's neck was wrung that morning. Like (laughs) everything, the vegetables. So Mm -hmm. this is this is exciting to me to see the return of that, of people thinking about homesteading and growing their own food. Because yeah. I'm like, we need these skills. Mm-hmm. We need these skills. The food system is broken. Yes. We need to know how to do all these things. So I'm excited that people are reconciling our current, our, our current, um, I'm glad that people are reconciling the traumatic past Mm. with our history of being very much in tune with agriculture and the land and actually putting seeds in our hair and things like that Mm. um, as we were coming across um, during the transatlantic slave trade to now understanding the power of just owning seeds, Mm. just owning them. Can you talk about that? What you what do you mean by for people who don't know what seeds in our hair? What are you referring to? So um I I um did a black farmers, um black and Latino farmers immersion um a a few years back, um upstate New York. And we learned a lot about um just the history of agriculture and the African and Latino connection to this. And one of the things that we were learning about was how when people were stolen and they were being taken away, they had enough foresight of not knowing where they were going, but they had enough foresight to hide some seeds in their hair because they knew that seeds are the key to life. Wow. They didn't know where they were going. So they were just like, well, let me let me take these with me. So, and I say that seeds are so important because actually there are companies now, we're talking about multinational companies that try to buy the rights to certain seeds. Wow. So it's like, mm. it's actually very political, the fight to even mm. have certain seeds. And people, there's a bunch of people who save seeds because there's certain plants that won't exist anymore if we don't preserve them. (sighs) Like the mass consumption of seeds of of plant life. That is just blowing my mind right now. Wow. That's blowing my mind. Certain companies want to be in total control of our agriculture. Right. That's why. Right. Right. Yeah. Ooh, that's deep. So yes, there is power in the plants, y'all. There's power in the seeds. That's why I'm committed to learning. <laughs> I'm committed to it because I grew up with people who could cultivate the land. And I don't know what happened with me because I was there. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I'm committed to that. So again, yeah, thank you for your work in, in doing that. It's important and talking about it. Um, so since we we're talking a little bit about food and cultivating plants and 
eating from the farms, you know, what is the importance of food when we think about hoodoo and when we think about conjure? You know, what is what is the importance of cooking even? Well, cooking is a form of it's a form of hoodoo. It's part of hoodoo because it's it's earth juju. You're taking different ingredients and you're you're putting them together to form something different to to form something that tastes different than the individual ingredients mm-hmm. it's root work and depending on which hands prepare the food it's going to taste different and i thought about this a lot over the years because some people's hands are blessed mm-hmm. and some people's are not <laughs> and I really thought about this because I was like there are there you could have the same exact recipe two different people cooking it it will taste different absolutely they did the same things Mm -hmm. they measured everything you know it's it has to do with people's energy it has to do with the ashe they put into the cooking I know this because I, I grew up with a mother who did not like to cook. Mm. And when you're cooking out of obligation versus out of love, it's dramatically different. And I truly believe that when you are um, prepping the ingredients, you are you should be in prayer that the person who will be enjoying the food, whether it be yourself or you're sharing with others, it should be a meditation that you want whoever is going to consume this to be nourished, to feel joy and pleasure as they're eating it, and to feel the love that you put into it. If that is missing, then the food is going to taste different. Um, mm. I can definitely tell the difference between eating takeout or eating at a restaurant. I mean, some restaurants, they they do put love into it. But when you're eating stuff that's more like being prepared in like a factory type right. um, mode, even if it's in a restaurant where it's just like assembly line, it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to homemade hands making it, homemade mm-hmm. hands who infuse their ashe into the food. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a form of juju. And... Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody possesses that form of juju, just like we know everybody has their specialties and of they course. can be blessed in other ways. Cooking may not be the blessing that was bestowed upon them. <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's like, because you can cook. So it's just, it's just funny. Like, and everyone just cannot cook. And it's real. <laughs> plenty of people can cook, but I will say that in my family, um, my immediate family, I'm the one who cooks now because my mom has retired from cooking, which I'm happy about. Because <laughs> <laughs> certain things I'm like, ooh, homegirl is getting tired. This is my mm-hmm. family change. I feel like she's getting tired and doing even less. So right. I need to just take over. So um, just being mindful of the ingredients. Um, I just think that... Um, that love it shows like I'm I actually get pleasure out of cooking for people and seeing them or tell them telling me how much they enjoyed what I made because that was my prayer for their enjoyment and for their nourishment Mm -hmm. 
when you were talking about, you know, the juju of the cooking and, and blessed hands and putting the love in it, I mean, that reminds me or makes me think about how people say grace. And I guess I've thought about this before in passing, but it feels like it just connected now, like sort of this, like, you know, praying before food being very important or having been very important to a lot of black folk um, before eating. And I, I think for many reasons, maybe because we weren't always able to have food and then also recognizing the importance that it was to bless the person and bless the food and to bless the hands that prepared the food. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like something that we were just saying just to say it, but like, you know, why are we actually having a moment of prayer and meditation before actually consuming something? Because it was important, like, because it, it mattered because it was a spiritual act of there is a spiritual act of cooking. So, yeah. It's definitely a spiritual act. And when, when, you know, Black folks say, you can't just eat from anybody, you know, somebody's auntie says that. Mm-hmm. They don't just mean like this person doesn't wash their hands. Right. They right. Mean that this person has a nasty spirit mm-hmm. and you don't want to eat from them because Correct. you will be consuming that energy. Right. Why right. want to eat food from somebody who is nasty in the spirit? Mm. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. I actually remember being at some some event I was at a couple years ago. It might have been a little witchy event. And someone was saying, actually, she was a priestess. And she was like, if you depress, if or if I feel depressed, I don't even cook for my, I don't cook for anybody in the house. Like, and I'm the cook. But if I'm in a bad mood or I'm upset or I'm feeling depressed, I don't cook. And I was like, hmm, I never thought of that. Like I never even put that together. Like that energy really does go into what you eat. That, that yeah. energy, it, it matters what you doing, what you thinking about, um, what you're processing as you're cooking food because it's being consumed and black folk don't play about what's being consumed. And like you said, beyond taste, but also like sp- nasty spirit. Yes. <laughs> nasty spirit. Like if I'm angry at someone, I'm not going to cook for them. Right. Because why am I, why am I going to cook angrily? Mm. Like I'll just be like, listen, you have to get some takeout because <laughs> I'm not seeing it for you, and I don't want that to affect how I prepare this food. So we just gonna have to try again tomorrow. Right, right, right. So were you always a cook, or is it something that you developed more maybe as you start, got into conjure? Um, I developed my sort of desire to cook from watching my my grandmother. My grandmother is this like prolific cook. She's older now, so she doesn't cook as much. She's tired, but um, she she's just like she was that cook in the community. Like everybody wanted to eat Aunt Honey's chicken wings. Everybody yes. wanted to come over to Aunt Honey's house and have her famous macaroni and cheese, which I done took over. It's my famous macaroni and cheese now, mm-hmm. but um, she passed the mantle down to me, but. It's it was something that um, I initially I um I lived abroad as um you know when I was doing my my undergraduate degree I lived abroad um, during my junior year like a lot of people and I was in Paris because um, I was trying to become fluent in French and just experiencing their food culture in terms of the freshness of it like 
you don't just like load up your freezer and refrigerator with a million things like going to to Sam's Club or Costco or whatever. You you go to the open market and you see what's available and fresh and you you buy for like the next three days, not the next three weeks. So there were things that I didn't fully understand about cooking or even about eating because my mom, she was what I call a semi-homemade cook. So she'd be like, I'm making a cake, but it would be like the mix from a box, right? Duncan Hines right. or whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> For Duncan you know, Hines. <laughs> right. Or she'd be like, okay, I'm making vegetables with whatever it else, whatever the hell else she was making. Mm-hmm. And it would be, and I, I have such a visceral response to this because I, I can picture it. The bag of Jolly Green Giant frozen vegetables. Mm-hmm. She would put that in a casserole dish with, I can't believe it's not butter. And spoiler alert, I can believe it's not butter. <laughs> so she would put that in there with some sprinklings of salt, put the lid on and mm. put it in the microwave. And then tell me and my brother that we had to have one tablespoon each of it because she wanted us to eat our vegetables. So in my mind, vegetables were just nasty. Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So it took me being in my late teens, tasting actual vegetables that were cooked with love and attention and were fresh to be like, oh, vegetables are not just some you threw in the microwave or some iceberg lettuce that is leaning to the left. (laughs) So (laughs) listen, my mom was good for a damn iceberg lettuce salad in the refrigerator with some Catalina dressing, send help. So... (laughs) So, just <laughs> don't be talking about mama. I love her. I love her. She knows that she doesn't like to cook, so that's why she she's always telling me what I need mm-hmm. to make for her. I have to make bean pies every time I come home. But anyway, um, so I just realized, oh wow, like I didn't really understand cooking fresh from scratch because I didn't grow up with it. Uh, my granny would cook from scratch like that, but I didn't spend as much time with her, obviously. And I spent time with my parents, my mom. My dad was a from scratch cook, but because of patriarchy, once he married my mom, he stopped cooking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. so you rather suffer through this semi-homemade stuff than make biscuits from scratch? <laughs> okay, I'm fine, I guess. <laughs> Right. That's very interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, because of gender roles. Right. Like, oh, now I have a wife. Like, oh, OK. So um, after I got back from Paris, I just had this strong desire to really teach myself how to cook. So that has taken me from cooking at home and trying different things to talking my way into working in a professional kitchen for a year wow. to selling my pies, selling different like cocktail punches. And, you know, now it's just, I don't know. I'm just very enthusiastic about food. I'm all about culturally competent nutrition because I hate that um, our society tries to tell people that like healthy eating is one way and it's usually a very white way, Mm -hmm. whitewash way. Mm -hmm. Like some of these diets just, have no flavor. And when I say diet, I just mean style of eating, not, uh, we're not talking about weight loss or restriction. Um, 
they just have no flavor. And I'm like, listen, I'm all for folks maybe wanting to include more nutrient dense foods into their life, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to mean we have to give up our culture. Right. Uh, Our original food culture was very plant based. Mm -hmm. Meat was a side dish and a flavoring. Like this is what we come from. Now that is this assumption that quote unquote black food is unhealthy and it's just always associated with being unhealthy and clogging our arteries is just simply not true. And I'm so glad that you uplifted that. It made me think about a while back, actually, this wasn't even a planned question, but I thought about this post and I think you reposted it and it was a black man, I think, and it was a picture of like fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and I think greens, maybe sweet potatoes and maybe some other stuff soul food and he was like I'm tired of seeing these slave plates everywhere like these are slave plates and I remember your comment was like this first of all (laughs) like our enslaved ancestors weren't eating (laughs) macaroni and cheese like these were (laughs) and noodles like how is this what are you talking about so can you just like talk a little bit about this sort of assumption around quote-unquote like you know black food being unhealthy automatically and being slave food what is that about I just get so tired of people trotting that out every year around the same time. Every Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yes. Like all this slave plate. I'm like, first of all, the enslaved, let's use correct terminology. Start there, right. Let's start there. But um, the thing is, is that when people think of African-American food, African-American cuisine, they immediately jump right to like fried chicken and like different foods that, you know, fried chicken, maybe biscuits, red velvet, macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. and collards. So first of all, I would like to say that collard, collard greens come from Europe. Okay. <laughs> collard greens come from Western Europe. They um, were crops that were transplanted here into, you know, the United States or, you know, what is now the United States. And they were actually feeding them to the animals. And our enslaved ancestors were like, you know what? That looks like something. And they started preparing them because it reminded them of greens from their homelands. Mm-hmm. You know, and the types of like stews and like when we talk about pot liquor, all those nutrients and stuff like that. They were right. literally giving the animals the collard greens because they Can just you talk about them. pot liquor too what is that for folks so when you're cooking collard greens um in the traditional way because people make them different ways and things like that um you are letting them simmer for quite some time on your stove um and it might be with ham hock it might be with turkey wing or some a smoked turkey wing or something like that mm-hmm. or you might do them vegetarian style but in any case they're simmering and so what the liquid is it it becomes infused with the vitamins and the minerals from the collard greens they're just you know soaking them up so when i tell you when you take that bowl up to your lips and take some um, some nice sips of that pot liquor, the liquid that mm-hmm. the collard greens are in. It is so restorative yes. and it's so nutrient dense. It's yes. so good for you. And our ancestors understood that because they already, 
they came with the knowledge of, you know, how to feed themselves and keep themselves healthy and things like that. So when they spotted those greens, they were like, you know what, that looks like something. And they're like disposing of them and throwing them to animals. We're going to just use them. So that's how they really got incorporated into our ancestors diet. But for one thing I'd like to say is that collard greens with ham hock is not unhealthy. Like people are just like, oh, collard greens are unhealthy. And I'm like, no, it's actually, that's a very nutritious profile when you think about it, but people are so used to throwing it all together. But to address, you know, a slave plate, our ancestors did not have access to noodles. They didn't have (laughs) access to honey baked ham. It's silly. Like, potato salad. No, that's not what they were eating. It was not like that. Some of them did have their own little gardens that they tended to that they were able to, you know, use to help supplement what they were given, but it was very sparse. So that's just a whole historical fallacy that people are trying to use to shame people. Mm -hmm. Another thing so there's a difference between um, what we consider soul food and African-American cuisine. I'd also like to say African-American cuisine is regional. So that's another thing right. that people are dead wrong because they want to just say, oh, black food is so blah, blah. I'm like, well, where are you talking about? Because you have the food from, you know, Gullah Geechee traditions. You have Mississippi Delta food. You have food from Georgia. You have, you know, you know, Afro-Creole food, like all these different foods. I'm not naming them all, obviously, so y'all don't get on me, but I'm just saying that (laughs) regional, it's regional. It's not homogenous. And um, so when we talk about soul food, this is something that developed um, after the Great Migration. So picture it like you just left your beautiful Southern homeland because of oppression and because of um, wanting more economic opportunities, but it was still home, right? You left and you're over here missing home. And now you're living in a big city, a big industrialized city where you have more access to go to the grocery store and buy certain things. So that means instead of maybe having fried chicken just once a week, after church in a little basket, you could maybe prepare it more than that because you have the access to it and you miss home. So it's Mm. in the same way that when you talk about like immigrant populations and talking about the old country, um, the South for many African-Americans, that's our old country. That's our adoptive homeland. So people are going to want to make more of their special occasion foods because it's a way to sort of quell their sense of longing and nostalgia for what they left right Mm -hmm. so that's why up north you had like these businesses opening up selling these foods and things like that but this is that's like a modern sort of innovation like and it doesn't represent it represents one type of african-american cuisine it's like you have the umbrella of the different types of african-american cuisine african-american african-american cuisine And under that umbrella, you have a little category of soul food, which represents our special occasion foods. But it's not the full, it's not even a majority of the full breadth of foods that we have historically consumed since we've been in this country Mm. at all. That was brilliant. That was perfect. Like, I learned something from, thank you for sharing that. That was so 
poignant and just boom, here it is. Like, yes, this is this idea around the nostalgia in the in the old country that really stuck out to me. And hmm, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And and also this idea of soul food being more of a, a newer iteration of, you know, black folk cuisine, a, a small portion again yeah. of black folk. It's very recent. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's so interesting. I never thought about that. So thank you for that. So anyway, don't be out here y'all saying things about slave plates and, and that, that don't make, no, 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 <laughs> no. My ancestors didn't have macaroni noodles. <laughs> so they did not. They were, they were lucky if they got to have a sweet potato that they put in the dying embers of the fire at the end of the night mm. to eat. Okay. Ooh, go off, go off. Okay. Wow. I could stay on this topic forever. But I do want to switch gears a little bit because I want to also make sure that we talk about, you know, we're talking about the hoodoo and your hoodoo hussy. We got to bring in the hussy. (laughs) We got to talk about the hussy. So first I want to ask, and I probably should have started with this question. How did you come up with the name hoodoo hussy for yourself? It's okay. (laughs) It's going to sound Maybe weird to some people, but not weird to probably like you and other people. Basically, I was writing these things. I wrote this play, which fingers crossed I can do um, um, a stage reading of it um, within the next year. But I wrote this play about a woman who is a root worker in in the Mississippi Delta in the 1950s. And the character just really stuck with me. And her, the character helped people and supported them in their day-to-day lives with their root work and everything. And then there was kind of like this alter ego to the character that I was like, she performs at a juke joint at nighttime. <laughs> Ooh. I'm like, you know, that's how she pays the bills. And she has all these admirers who want to bring her offerings and gifts and all these things. And I was like, you know what? Like, as a performer, I want this to be an homage to my culture and also a nod to sort of the cheekiness that I feel in terms of being in complete control of my sensuality and my sexual expression. So I was like, you know what? It's going to be Hoodoo Hussy. And the minute I said it, I was like, that's it. It's it's Hoodoo Hussy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people refer to me as Hoodoo. Um, But yeah, it's Hoodoo Hussy. And people are like, should I call you Hussy? I'm like, you could call me Hoodoo. It's fine. (laughs) You can call me Hoodoo. Um, but they're like, okay, Miss Hussy. <laughs> like, can I call you Hussy? <laughs> I mean, whatever. But I was in the beginnings of my burlesque journey at that time. And it's just everything in terms of my spiritual journey and my burlesque journey have just been hand in hand at this point. It's been in tandem. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of remarkable when I think back on it. Yeah, that's what I really want to get into. Sort of how does your spiritual work influence your burlesque? How does your burlesque influence your spiritual work? 
How do they go together? You're like a burlesque performing priestess. And y'all, I've seen Hoodoo perform amazing. Bomb. Tens across the board. Like she is. Okay. So she know people know who Hoodoo Hussey is in the burlesque community. Let me just say that. Like completely gassing her right now because she deserves it. Like when I saw her, even before I saw her, I knew she was popping. But when you came to Chicago that one time when I was living there and I saw you perform, I was like, oh, okay, got it. This this is the spiritual work as well. So can you talk a little bit about how those the spirits and, and, the, and the burlesque sort of inform each other for you? And how does it work together for you? First of all, my ancestors love that I do burlesque. Yes. Yes. It's. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm just like, really? They do. Uh, they're like, um, it's something about the sort of glamour of it and the the spectacle of it and just being on the stage. They absolutely support me in my burlesque journey. I, um, whenever I have a gig and I perform, um, it is part of my spiritual obligation to donate part of the money that I've received as a, as a thank you to my ancestors and my spirits who support this journey and keep my road wide open. Like it's been wide open and I'm very thankful, but there was, when you are uncomfortable in your body, when you're uncomfortable in your skin, you can't fully be on your path to whatever it is that you want to do because you don't feel right just in your day-to-day, just looking in the mirror. Um, so part of my own liberation, my own emancipation from societal norms, from feeling oppressed by um you know, the church and people's expectations uh, for what my body is supposed to look like or what is considered beautiful, what's considered ugly. Burlesque just threw those shackles off in a very accelerated manner. I remember performing for the first time and I'm about to come up on my four-year burlesque anniversary next Mm -hmm. Wednesday. I remember performing for the first time. I was so nervous. Um, I have stage fright, so not as much anymore, but um, I get nervous talking, speaking in public and performing, but I love performing. It's just that right before part um, that I just am like fight or flight, but I I always fight. So I remember wanting to run away because I'm like, am I really about to um, get on this stage? and artistically take my clothes off in front of an audience of people. Mm -hmm. This was so beyond in terms of in my scope of my mind of what I could do, but I did it. And I felt like a weight had been lifted Mm -hmm. off of me. And sometimes when you just walk around with that weight, you just become accustomed to it. So when it comes off, you're like, Mm -hmm. wow, this I didn't realize how much this was holding me back, how much it was holding me down. So now for me, through literally thick and thin, because 
Listen, I, you know, my weight fluctuates, so my body be one way and then another way. But through thick and thin, I've been different sizes in burlesque and I've felt amazing throughout. And it's just an ongoing journey. And I looked up an email that I had sent my burlesque mentor, um, Chikava Honeychild. She is the, she calls herself the black academic mm. of burlesque. Could she, you want to know about black burlesque? She is the historian of burlesque. She really is out here ret- finding legends and interviewing them. She has a documentary that she's working on. She's amazing. I found an email that I'd sent her where I said I had never felt so free um, until like after my performance that night and that this, this um, that burlesque was changing my life. And I still feel that way because it's just opened my eyes to so much. And so I know that there's probably some old school people who are like, oh, she she's a priestess. Um, she's over here doing burlesque. What is that about? I mean, I mostly get positive feedback. So that's not I think a lot of people, especially our millennial generation, they feel very empowered by that. They're like, wow, you're on your spiritual journey and you feel you're able to express yourself sensually and sexually on your own terms. But I will say this, I'm a priestess of Njuzu. Njuzu are very sensual and sexual mm-hmm. deities, okay? So this is not like um, some of the um, Abrahamic religions that many of us grew up with. It's, it's not that type of right. politic at all. Like there, when I'm creating acts, it's a conjuring. I literally will be in prayer and ask that they support my creativity. And it's definitely a form of not a full possession, but there's definitely times when I've been creating acts where I Mm. could not stop. It's like three in the morning and I'm still going because something is pushing me. Something wants me to get this done. So I definitely see other performers, even even if they don't fully understand what they're doing, I see them conjuring on stage right. with their performance. Right. I won't name names. I don't want to mm-hmm. put people on blast, but uh, some of my favorite performers, I see them doing it. I see them weaving spirit on the stage and I, I, I'm not quite sure if they understand what they're doing. Like, And I see them... Their seduction is a form of hypnotism. They don't even realize they're doing it. Some do. Some are aware of the power that they're wielding on the stage. They just don't understand it in the spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. And also that, you know, saying that your ancestors support you doing burlesque. So even if someone has never seen a burlesque show, normally it's like little clothing it doesn't have to be but generally little clothing breast out like nipples covered generally but like breast out and so this idea that we can still be spiritual and still be sensual and still be sexual and still show off our bodies how we choose and move in seductive ways and all of that still and none of that be separate and none of that be seen as like categorized as secular, like over here is secular and over here is religious. And like, no, actually your embodiment of burlesque is like, it's all the same, actually. This is all spirit. Like it, it, it's not, 
it doesn't have to be categorized as this over here is, is uh, sexual and this over here is spiritual. No, it's all the same. And I think that's uh, and a lot of ATRs and a lot and hoodoo, um, especially it's like we can be all the things at one time. <laughs> we don't have to separate who we are in our bodies and we can celebrate who we are in our bodies. And even, you know, what you said about the 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 spectacle of it, the the movement of it. Like our ancestors celebrate that because there was a time where they didn't ha- get to have agency over the ways that they moved or what they showed or how they showed it and how they danced. And so yeah, it's like it's so powerful. Like, and I felt when I saw you perform, I felt exactly what you're talking about. I felt the possession. I felt your ancestors. I felt the spirit. Um, y'all, who is that? Is is that? <laughs> Period. Who must see is that? Um, and so in talking about the, the power of sex and sexuality um, in your work and in your conjuring, I kind of want to talk a little bit about some of your condition oils, because when I think about you, I think about food, burlesque and your oils. Like that is how I, that's how I sort of embody like who you are as a conjure woman. And so I want to just talk a little bit about some of the things that you offer in regards to your oils. And if you could just give listeners a little bit about what those things are and why they might be important or why someone might want to get something like this. So the first thing I saw was Cleo May. Can you talk a little bit about what your Cleo May oil is and what it does and what it's for? I love my, <laughs> the Cleo May oil. I definitely have loyal customers with that one. And it's interesting because I thought about changing the name to my great grandmother's name, Ella May. Um, well, she had that name before the singer. Y'all don't get confused. <laughs> okay, it's a very Southern name, Ella May. Right. I thought about... Not boot up. Yeah, I thought boot up. I thought about changing it because um, my, great, uh, my great-grandmother, she definitely was out here putting the, the, the seduction on the men out here. So I was like, hmm, maybe I'm yes. Ella May. But I, I just kept it because I feel like people are familiar with Cleo May. So... This is for basically women and femmes, women identified, femme identified people who are trying to get men identified people to open those pockets. Okay. And it doesn't have to be in the sense of like, um, you know, trying to get them romantically interested in you per se. It's just like, I've had people who, they use it with like their boss and their boss has like, you know, sent them on tricks, trips, given, not tricks, trips. (laughs) That's different. I mean, that's also a thing, but, um, right. Unless you want a trip. Yes. Um, sent them on trips. They've gotten a raise. If you're a bartender, you can use this to get the male clientele to tip you more or to sit there and drink, 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 and just be magnetized by you. Um, it's just a way to be even more seductive. So people will want to feel very generous with you. So, um, that is important. So it could be used by sex workers. I definitely have people who, um, do sex work who have used the oil. And one of my customers, she, um, is a stripper at a club and she made her rent in three days. And I, ooh. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I, ooh, when she told me that, I was like, yes, sis, yes. Yeah. Well, I love, I, one of my, my reasons for coming back to this mortal coil was to help and support people that I'm in community with. And I'm part of different communities, right? So um, I love to hear when people are telling me what um, something I prepared with my hands has done to help them in their life. In the same way that I like sitting there watch people watching people eat my sweet potato pie, like and just mm-hmm. enjoy it. I love hearing from people like, "Hey, you know, I use the Creole May oil, and this happened, and." You know, this man, you know, it was a slow night and he tipped me so much. And so I, um, the Cleo Mays to, to get um, these male identified wallets to open easily. <laughs> Love to see it. I need to go and give me some because, child, <laughs> get some of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about Lady Lover? It's another one that you offer. So Lady Lover, um, I wanted to make even though I, I have a come to me oil, which is um, for everyone, it is um, unisex, unigender. Um, the lady lover is for women identified people who want to date, have romance with um, other women identified people. So um, that one sells very well in the DMV area. Oh, <laughs> um, that is so interesting. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like being like dead ass right now. That is so interesting. We need to do a study because they got people. Let me see where they at. I'm like, okay, y'all better go come through down there. So um, that one, because I'm honestly Juju, I, I don't even know what to be identif- identifying myself as anymore because I'm all the labels. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so divested from it at this point I'm just a person that likes people mm-hmm. period on period mm-hmm. um but I you know part of that journey is um having um you know romantic and sexual relationships with um women and non-men so I used my the conjuring of the memories and the spirit of some particularly juicy situations that I've been in to infuse that with the lady lover oil so that people can have other people drawn to them mm-hmm. specifically in a, whatever you want to call it, lesbian, queer women, mm-hmm. whatever, um, situation. So, mm-hmm. um, that one was important to me because I wanted people to feel seen and have something specific to them. So I, I always try to make space for the things that are important to me because I know that there's other people out there that it's also important to. Yeah. That's so important. And so you said your your come to me oil, that's for every that's for can you talk a little bit more about what that was? You said it was for everyone and what does it do? Yes, that's an attraction oil. And that's a general one that anybody can use, um, no matter how you identify in terms of gender or, you know, agender, non-binary, whatever, however you identify, it's for everyone. It's an attraction oil. It's to attract people to you for the purpose of 
love, romance, and sex, all of the above, some, none, not none, but it could be all of the above. It could be just for, you know, sexual purposes. It's a catch-all. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, Hulu has a whole bunch of oils, y'all, so I'm not going to name all of them, but the last one I want you to talk about is your Van Van oil. That's one of my most popular oils, mm-hmm. especially when I'm out um, at events vending. Um, the Van Van oil is all about attracting all the good things to you and repelling the negativity from you. Um, it, it's a very old traditional formula, luck and blessings and money and love. It's just a multi-purpose oil that can be used for so many things. I kid you not, I, me um, and Brown Girls Burlesque, I'm one of the creative producers for Brown Girls Burlesque. Um, we had a big show on Friday night and I literally anointed my co-producer with Van Van Oil. Because mm. I was like, we're, we are going to just bring all the positivity to tonight's show. Um, And I just, I don't even think she really noticed I was over here like, hold on, I'm I'm putting this on you. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's very, it's very popular with people. I think it's, I think it's very popular with people because for someone who is new to spiritual oils and products, you know, conditioned oils, it's very approachable. Right. Um, in a way that if I'm like, here's um, the return to sender oil. Like, if you don't have the basis of understanding what that even means in a spiritual context, that's going to be lost on you. And also, if you don't know what it is, you probably don't need to be getting it right now. You probably need to get like a divination <laughs> to understand okay. what you got going on. But a Van Van oil, that's something you can anoint yourself with every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you could use in your day to day. And you can also use when you are doing work with specific intentions. Multi-purpose. Can't go wrong with good Van Van oil. So, yeah, check out her oils, y'all. She got, um, there's a student focus oil. There's a high John oil. So go check it out. Um, since we're on that topic, plug all your things. What if someone wants to come see you perform? What are you doing? How can we check you out? Do you do readings? How do we get oils? Just let us know all your things. Plug all your stuff. Okay. Plugging all my stuff. Um, I'm on IG at Hoodoo Hussy. Um, Like I said, I'm the creative producer, one of the creative producers for Brown Girls Burlesque. Um, We just had an amazing show called Love Got Game. It is a variety show for the millennial generation for the woke and the restless. We had a live dating game, burlesque, comedy. We had um, a group number by um, our sort of homage, the Fly Girls. We call them Dope Divas. We had a live DJ on stage, DJ Muse. It was an amazing time. And we're doing it again in February, Mm. on February 12th at Joe's Pub. It's in the, um, it's in, I think we call it NoHo, but it's in Manhattan, Joe's Pub. Those tickets are actually going on sale next week. So you could just Google Joe's Pub and look at February 12th and already get your ticket. Um, The tickets are $25. That's going to be a full house. We had a full house last time. Um, That's the next sort of big show. And it's going to be special for Valentine's Day. 
the dating game we had um around for the straights. <laughs> the straights. <laughs> there was like a, a woman dater and three uh male identified contestants. And then we had a round for the queer cuties. Aww. So um we had a really cute um non-binary dater and then we had three um women identified contestants. And so that was really amazing because that was a new aspect to the show that I brought because I was like, we need representation and we want to be inclusive of just all, you know, Black women and femmes experiences. So um, February 12th. Also for the, I think, fourth year, we are going to be performing at Brooklyn Museum mm. for First Saturdays um, in March, Target First Saturdays. We're going to be doing our, our big show. Even though it's um, First Saturdays is free, you still have to get a ticket. The auditorium is 300 people, right? Capacity for 300 people. It always sells out. So you have yes. to come and get in line. We have a reputation now that precedes us. So yes, love it amazing that we're going to be building over the next few months. It's always really um, almost emotional because we're really able to tap into the sort of artist scholar side of performing and burlesque and really have like narrative and storytelling with a lot of the acts that we bring. So first Saturdays, March, Brooklyn Museum, com. All my oils are up there. Um, I also, um, what else? I have a cleansing spray. Um, I make spiritual baths by request. Um, Mm -hmm. if they're fresh spiritual baths, um, local only. What else I got going on? Oh, I have a cleansing smoke that is really good, especially if you like to buy used items because listen, you don't want that energy on you, especially because a lot of used items are from dead people. Mm-hmm. Well, clothes. Um, vintage from right. dead people's estates. Right. You want to cleanse that off before you put it on. So I have a cleansing smoke. It's just a bunch of stuff. Um, check out my website. Like I said, hoodoohussy.com. Um, that's about it. Cool. So how do we, I know you, can people stay up to date with what's happening with you? Is Would they do that through Instagram if they wanted to know about shows and things? IG is the best. So um, okay. follow me at, at Hulu Hussy and also um, follow Brown Girls Burlesque at, at BG Burlesque um, for latest info on shows and things like that. So yay. Thank you so much, Hulu. This was so good. I I couldn't imagine what this would be like. Like I knew it was going to be good, but the ways that you just got into the plants and food and burlesque and sensuality, like it was beautiful and perfect. So <laughs> I, I'm just so appreciative of you and also just appreciative of you as a person. I just love you so much. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Alrighty, love. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye. Hope you all enjoyed that wonderful episode with Hoodoo Hussy. Again, all of her information will be in the show notes to her site and to reach out to her. And my patrons should head on over to Patreon for a little surprise from Hoodoo. Of course, if you want to reach out to me, you can hit me up on the social medias at it's Jujubay, I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E on Instagram. I'm also at a little juju podcast on Instagram. That is the podcast page. You can also hit me up at it's Jujubay on Twitter. But just know 
I'm cutting up on Twitter. I'm not just talking about spiritual shit. I'm talking about everything. <laughs> so find me on Twitter if you want to reach out to me to book a reading. If you want to get long distance Reiki, which I offer. If you would like to fly me out somewhere to do a panel, a discussion, a talk, a workshop to your school, anything like that, you can do all of that through my website, ITSJJUBAE, or emailing me at thejujubay at gmail.com. Oh, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of a little juju podcast, you just send me an email as well or hit me up on my contact page. And I think that's it. Happy Thanksgiving to those folks who celebrate it. I know that holiday season can bring up a lot of emotions and they are not all happy. They are not all excited. They are not all drenched in love they can be very uncomfortable they can be sad we can think about people that we may have lost and so if you do celebrate thanksgiving and you're going to be with loved ones i'm wishing you a good time put some food out for your ancestors of course this is a good way to honor them because it is thanksgiving maybe do some research about what land that we're on what indigenous land that we're on and saying the names of those nations those tribes of people whose land that we we may be residing in i think there's an app that's that does that and you know if you're not going to be around loved ones or you're going to be around your family but it's deeply uncomfortable do some of the protection work that we talked about um and heal yourself today do that before you put yourself in that space so that you feel a little bit more grounded and you feel you feel better. I had to pause, you know, got these police sirens in the background. <laughs> um, wow, my down home ass radiator in the background, police cars outside podcast really try is trying to win an award for iHeartRadio. I'm gagging. <laughs> anyway, I love y'all. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And remember, all you need is a little juju. Later.